0: Our world is always so rush-rush, we can never get any personal time to ourselves, let alone those that we love. Welcome to Might Radio, with host Gabriella Von Ray. Our mission, to reintroduce kindness and compassion to our busy lives. Remember when life was so much simpler? Gabriella and her guests today will pick up the ball of human kindness, and by doing so, empower you to make changes in your own life. And now... Here is Gabriella Von Ray.
1: Good morning, everyone, and I'm really glad to be doing another Mite Radio show from sunny Atlanta. And I have a really special guest here. I have actually two special guests. Um, the book and the author of the book, uh, which is called Be a Hero, is written by Marion Stahl. But the book is about the childhood stories of Anita Shore, and I hope I spell, uh, I pronounce your name correctly.
2: Correct. Hi,
1: Marion, and hi, Anita. Are you both on the line with me?
2: I am. I am. I am on the line. This is Anita speaking.
1: Okay, Anita, I'm. I'll start with you. I'm really glad that um, that I got to hear about your book through uh, Nicolette. Your book, um, "Be a Hero," is about stories of your own youth during the Second World War. Is that correct?
2: Yes, but but the type of "be be a hero" uh, is really at the type, This is a motto that I use when I speak in school: is step in and be a hero. Step this in. This is really and be against bullying. That that particular, it's not about me being being a hero. It's about empowering students to be heroes and not let injustice down.
1: I love what you're saying, and uh, I think that's why your friend Nicolette tried to find me, because we're totally on the same track. Um, I, I, I say dare to step into you, and you say dare to be a hero. That's beautiful. Now tell me a little bit about your background, so that the listener who's wanting to know more
2: about your book can understand. And where were you born? I was born in Brno, BRNO, Czechoslovakia, right, mm-hmm. which is now the Czech Republic, right on the Austrian border. Oh, um, I lived a wonderful life. My parents were in, in, in the arts. Uh, there was always chamber music in our house. We went skiing. We went ice skating. We, my father was an advert tennis player, and so am I and my son and my grandkids. We all are tennis players. Okay, <laughs> and then uh, March 1939, mm-hmm. the Nazi occupation entered Czechoslovakia, mm-hmm. and my childhood sort of ended there. Uh, yeah, can... uh, limitations were put on. You cannot go here. You cannot go there. The Jews had to wear a yellow star, and you was, it was you couldn't go with a jacket without a yellow star. And then they started to have people. Uh, displaced them out of their life at gunpoint, put them into cattle cars, drove them, and were never heard from again. We were not in the first of the transports. We were able to to bribe somebody, and, and they got us out because we went to Terrazin. Uh, we we were able to to get out, uh, and but but not too many not too many months went by. When we got another, um, another notice and there was nothing we could do, mm-hmm. they put us into cattle cars as many as they could shove in. And then they took us to to, Terezin, to Theresienstadt, that was a ghetto. And it was run, of course, by the Nazi army. Mm-hmm. And, and we were, I was in the, the ghetto, Was you know, it was, uh, hunger started right there. They took away everything we brought with us. With um, us, they put us into barracks with, with bunk beds. They called it bunk beds. It looked more like like shelves. Mm-hmm. And then strangers, six people in a in a in a bunk bed, whatever they called it, and and then food. Food from then on was the most important thing of our life. We got okay. in the morning a square piece of uh, bread with a little piece of margarine uh, the size of a postal stamp. Uh, noontime, uh, we got a contraption of a soup that nobody knew the name of the vegetables in there because those were not vegetables that were served to people. Those were vegetables that they gave to, to cattle. Ah, When we first tried it, it was unedible. We pushed it aside, and the people that were there from before asked, Please, please, could you, could you let me have your soup? Sure, we pushed it away. Some people didn't eat a day, some people didn't eat two days. But the third day, most people couldn't stand it anymore because hunger is a. It is it's a feeling that you cannot really put into words it occupies your whole psyche, and suddenly the only thing you think about is how to get some food you yes. cannot you cannot learn anything you cannot combine anything because all your energy you just need to stand up and that was when hunger started and and that then,
1: was, may, may I ask you Anita, were, of were course. you at that were you at that point still with your family? In,
2: yes. those, in that yes. area? Yes. This is Terezin, Terezin, so that was still in Czechoslovakia, just a little above, um, just a little above Prague. And, okay. um, of course, my father was in other barracks, and my mother and my little brother and me were together because they used to have cha- children's houses. But an uh, epidemic of encephalitis happened there. And okay. uh, they didn't, they, the kids were dying one by one. So they stopped putting them into houses. Okay. It's only for children. Okay. And,
1: and one of the things that struck me, um, I, I'm adopted Dutch and my mother was uh, in the Second World War and has never really wanted to talk about it. And one of the things that struck me about your story, Anita, is that it took you 70 years to talk about this. Is it still something that you find
2: really hard to do? Hard uh, not in the way that you would think. Or that anybody okay. else would think. I had to free myself of it, otherwise I couldn't go from school to school. And I I just use this as a background to be able to to explain to the young people that they they cannot stay silent. And mm-hmm. it starts in the school, in the ba- in the backyard, in the locker room, in the in the in, in everywhere. When the bullying is now. Um, it was always bullying but now the bullying is actually out and hopefully we could make the kids understand how dangerous the bullying is and how it can uh, he can change the whole way of looking at things if you don't let it happen so this is why I am really going from school to school and this gives me in a way how should I really phrase it I'm sort of like immortalizing my family. Of course, I never had even time to ever mourn them because the challenges after the war, after after liberations, were enormous. Mm -hmm. And I show pictures of my childhood, and that's in a way, uh, as I said, me, in one way I am mourning them, and in another way I am immortalizing them. Like, I feel like I'm giving voice to all those that uh, don't have a voice, they didn't make it. So I have really changed. I don't, I don't bring out the pain. I bring out the strength from whatever I went through.
1: Absolutely. And for, for our listeners, I know you talked just earlier about the yellow stars, and a lot of people here in America do not know what it is. The star represented that... Um, that you were
2: Jewish, correct? Yeah, it was a yellow star um, outlined with black. And okay. in the middle was written Jude, that in German means Jew. Yeah, absolutely. It, okay. was, it was the beginning of, of really dehumanizing you. Yeah. They it's, suddenly it's pointed interest, the finger at right? you. Oh, you are a Jew. And and, and this is an on on the on the freedom that you, we enjoy here in, in the United States.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, I agree. But I, I also saw in all, everything that I read about you is that you would like to bring light to this hatred. So how do you explain this enormous hatred for one
2: culture? I spend my life, <laughs> I spend my life doing as much as I can, because I think the only way to have peace, you have to give a peace. Absolutely. And and, and this, is, I don't. I will tell you and everybody who is listening. My dream when I was liberated, I was fifteen years old, and the liberation, mm-hmm. of course, meant, hey, I am alive, and now I can start a life. So I started to dream, and my dream was that there will be no more borders, that there will be one, che- one language spoken. At that time, they were playing with the idea of uh, speaking Esperanto, and that was a mixture of, of Italian and German and Slavic and all that. And so, I'm so sorry that none of it has really changed. People didn't mm-hmm. learn. What it means to hate one another—it's—it's very—it's—it's it's very sad. We are leaving it. As older people are leave, leaving a terrible world behind us. If you think about it, I'm still standing strong. This all happened in my single lifetime. Absolutely, but war is still happening day
1: after day, but not on the same level as you've experienced.
2: No, thank, oh, thank God for that. I mean, there yes. are still genocides. Let's don't forget there are still genocides. Yeah. But, but they are usually not designed like the Holocaust was designed by the, by the government and, and ex- executed by the government because Kristallnacht, that's where everything started. That was in Germany on November mm-hmm. 9, uh, 1938. Yeah. Where the order was given to destroy, the government gave the order, and they they said that was the Nazi uh, group went and did the vandalizing and did the uh, taking people out there, send them off by and. And right there already, the free world stood silent. The German neighbors that lived next to, next to one another, they just stood there. And the orders were given to the police and to the, to the whatever else, uh, firefighters. They should not interfere. Those but we still stand silent towards injustice.
1: On, on that level, none of us have learned anything.
2: True? Looks like it. It looks like it. that. but I one even
1: thing even that, that that I in in Holland learned because we we read books and books and books uh, on on the Second World War, including Anna Frank. But w- and and this is I'd love to ask you: How can one human being have that much influence? I'm not even saying power influence on other people, or were was everyone just totally scared of Hitler?
2: I I think that um, now now you want me to be a politician, okay?
0: Uh, <laughs> no, just what you. I
2: think you, all wars are economical, as, yeah, and economy really rules the wars. And in Germany, there was a big uh, economic crash.
1: Yeah. And that
2: I think that's how Hitler came to power. He took away from the Jews. The Jews didn't have land. They didn't have. Power. They didn't have the same power as as other people because they couldn't they couldn't own land. They had freedom, but in most countries they really didn't. They were not even used to being farmers because of that reason. Starting from the from the Spanish Inquisition when they were running the way they were um, able to to function, they were salesmen, shoemakers, uh, uh, doctors, lawyers, uh, bankers for the, for all these professions you don't need land and land really is the base of 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 a person to to be you know to have total freedom and belonging so i think that hitler came out and he used that particular uh, Disaster of of Germany, and and he came up, I think, in such a strong way that he made everybody afraid not to go with him, and he was threatening the people that that uh, starting with the young people in the in the uh, uh, in the young the, the, what do they call them the you, you, girl, you girl, whatever
1: yeah 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 I I remember vaguely what that. Word was right. um and then when when you were living, uh, thank you for explaining that. I did not realize that the Jewish people in Germany uh, had such an economic hard time i didn 't know that at all
2: well, they were if you look, they were involved in the arts, in the sciences, in the all the things actually they were maybe allowed to violent at this point i 'm mm. not sure, but I think they might have. Learned, they were, but they, they they were never farmers, and this is why the transition in Israel was a such a gigantic transition that professors started to be farmers, and okay. I think that's why was one of the things that Israel really uh, developed so quickly because the farming is one of the most modern farmings in the world because they had brilliant people you know professors and doctors of of sciences and stuff they were suddenly using their 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 education and their knowledge of things to 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 do farming because israel started out being a farm country and actually after the war i went to israel and i participated there in the war of independence and i Mm -hmm. lived in a kibbutz and i was a farmer i grew vegetables i grew uh, trees and it was very exciting it was actually a a big part of my healing out, out of making myself again into a person because for me it was a miracle coming out of all these years In in a situation of total destruction, total dehumanization, I was finally really free, and and the growing was for me a miracle. When you put seeds in the ground, and a few days later they came out plants. Uh, I think this was definitely my my first steps to finding uh, some roots in my life. Okay, I understand that.
1: One of the things um, I would like to touch a little bit upon is your time spent in the concentration camp. And what, what can we learn from that? What can a young person that
2: listens right now learn from that? Concentration camps are out of the question. Okay. Because, because they took away your humanity, all your rights rights of speech, rights of everything. They stripped you totally, totally of all your belongings. Okay. Those were just material losses. But as I said, the freedom, the freedom of speech, the freedom of expressing to yourself, the freedom of moving from any place, the freedom to be healthy, to be clean... Uh, it, there is no end of the dehumanization and the and 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 the, this, the, the deprival of everything that was human in you, pushing you into a situation where there was no hygiene. We all smelled like like deaths walking around. <clears throat> I spoke to an American soldier who was one who liberated a, a camp at the end of mm-hmm. the war, and he said were, the soldiers were approaching a certain area, and suddenly they smelled this stench, this horrible smell, and, and he said, he said, oh, what is it? It smells like a graveyard was dug up here. And they came closer and closer, and there was a concentration camp. And disease. Um, everything you read in books, everything you see in on television or on, on in the movies, truthfully, it is not even 10% how it really was. Because I don't think there are words to describe it, and I don't think I could even go there. And I don't mm-hmm. think anybody else can go there, of, of the practical things that are in, unimaginable to a person living in a free world like we live
1: yeah, absolutely. That's, that's why I said. My, my parents never talked about the Second World War. We we asked as children, but they said this is not something we want to talk about. You have to respect it. So I
2: respected it. Well, I started to speak in 93. 93. It's fantastic. When, when, when the um, Holocaust Museum in D.C. Uh, opened my very good friends American friends and my current uh, american brooklyn boy uh, husband they mm-hmm. made reservations there the first month it opened and we went there and it's of course it's a it's a magnificent um, statement and and done with such respect in and educational value uh, we spent there about eight hours. They were We were reading everything. Before we got further, you know, they asked, no, was it really like that, was it really like that. And people surrounded us, and there was a whole group walking because I was like the stamp of the good housekeeping, uh, authorizing. Yes, it was like this, and it was shown in a most educational way. And then at the very end, for those who... There in the Holocaust Museum, it's like, you remember, it's like a dome at the end where the, the, the glass roof and it's around and there are like steps where you sit and that's the last spot before you walk out and there are screens there and, and there's, there are some um, testimonies of uh, survivors. And I saw how all the people were sitting there mesmerized. Looking at those at those at those uh, testimonies that the survivors presented there, and that's when I said to myself, "You got to do this. You absolutely have to do it." And um, I came back, and in Yale they had uh, the fortune of uh, files. They used to they called them. They called me and called me. I called them back, and I said, "I'm ready." And then my first presentation I gave in, in, in college, uh, a friend of mine's daughter went there to, to Swasmore mm-hmm. And when she said, you come and talk to me, I talked about you to my friends. I said, I cannot talk. I cannot talk. How am I going to speak? I'm gonna, she said, don't worry. I will make questions and answers. And you will just ask. And, and, and to make it more comfortable, I will put my friends, my schoolmates in a in a semi-circle so you don't think it's like some kind of a, like that. And, oh, nice. and the first question she asked from that on, I just spoke and spoke, it just poured out. And then the reaction of the students, they came over and they hugged me and hugged me and and, and they said, Thank you for, for opening for us, and from there on, it really just got better and better. My, my reaction, my, what I take out of those presentations is probably as much as they take home with them.
1: Yeah, but I think it's fantastic because students need to know. We, we cannot create change if we don't know what truly happened. And like you just said, it's only 10% of reality in the movies or in the books. So you are one lucky lady that um, Marion Stahl wanted to write your story. But I, I understand because I'm as mesmerized as she is. So we are going into a little commercial break, okay, Anita? Okay. And we Yes, and then we will be right back sure. and we'll ask you more questions. Okay and, and we'll ask Marian why she wanted to write the book okay okay we absolutely every-
2: absolutely thank you okay, okay. Thank you.
0: friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world Voice America Empowerment A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray.
1: Hi, everyone, and we have an amazing guest. If you're just joining us Uh, Step in and be a hero with Anita Shore and Martin Marion style wrote the book. Um, As we just went into break, uh, Anita, tell us a little bit more. You were telling me during the commercial about the concentration camp and going from Terezin to Auschwitz before we go back and talk about how you're making a difference today.
2: Um, and Terezín was, of course, a ghetto, and it wasn't, we were not really murdered there. But the trains were coming in, and trains were coming in, and there were trains going out. And those trains that were going out, never anybody heard from these people again. And uh, so everybody was holding in. They didn't want to leave Terezín because, as I said before, it wasn't a, a place where they murdered you. You had to do this, and they made uh, medical experiments on us. They inoculated us with uh, scarlet fever, and then later with jaundice, infectious jaundice. They took liberties to do things that you don't do to people. Mm -hmm. And in 19... So I was was in Terezín in in December 7, 1941. I was already in Terezín, and when America... Entered the war, we thought next week we will be liberated, mm-hmm. and, and when nothing changed, we were desperate. Mm-hmm. And then we were called, and we had to take the whatever we had, two, three things that we owned, probably what we have on our on our body only, and they shoved us again into cattle cars. And now this was a long trip. If uh, I take, I have a map behind me when I speak to the students to show them the journey, because uh, I don't think that the schools give enough geography to to show exactly from where it went and how it is. I'm now we went from Czechoslovakia to, to Auschwitz, which is Poland, and and there, if there is anything. That, that is a dehumanization of a person. Like Auschwitz, we arrived there, it was, it was drizzling, it was cold, and it was summer. Uh, and people, because we were always cold, because if you don't eat, there is no heat, because food is energy. We couldn't, Absolutely. I think we couldn't, we shivered, everybody shivered all the time, and, and many, every day somebody fell down and never got up. Now, now we come to, to Auschwitz, and they uh, take us to a room where they spray us with this DDT. Now, in Terezin, because of the minimal hygiene, uh, and, and the, then the living quarters where you lay next to a person, if you didn't have bad bugs and lice, the other person had it. They didn't only crawl over you and bite you and itch you, but they also spread disease. And my Absolutely. memory of Terezin is everybody scratching themselves. Mm-hmm. So okay, now we are in Auschwitz, they spray us with DDT, mm-hmm. and, and all the insects fall off. We took a deep breath, because wow, that's terrific. Next Mm -hmm. room, showers. And now let me tell you about showers. Showers and the gas chambers looked identical. There were rooms with a few rats, and the rats had had, uh, shower heads. Mm -hmm. And those rooms that were shower houses, the water came out. The same design was for gas, and if from those shower heads, gas came out. And that was the last second of your life. So every time you went for a shower, you didn't know whether you were in a shower room or you were, that was the last minute of your life. So the okay. tension, and we already heard those things. So when, we, when they put us into the shower room, we didn't know. Because there were some transports that they came and they just took their they just took their clothes off and shoved them right away into those uh, gas chambers, and then their bodies were gone in a minute, maybe probably even a few seconds, and their bodies were taken out and thrown into the ovens, and they were burned. And, and the rest of the world maybe saw it, but definitely we, uh, in Auschwitz we saw it, those gigantic mountains of black smoke that rise to the sky In a way, like asking the world and and everything and everybody else, please come and save us. Mm -hmm. But the help didn't come. So next room, shaving room. They shaved everybody from head to toe. And here I get a little laugh from the kids. I said, we look like zombies from another planet. And indeed (laughs) we did. And indeed we did. You don't look the same. If you don't have hair, you know, the nose is protruding, the, the ears are sticking out, the mouth looks so big and the eyes look like, wow. So everybody was looking at the other person and didn't realize that they looked the same way. <laughs> Next room, uh, Auschwitz uniforms the striped thing get a cap and you could, took a jacket and you got a pair of pants. Of course, they threw it at you and you had to then exchange it with others so you get at least approximately your size. You, The Jews got, again, the yellow star with an outline in black and a big jude in there. The communists got red triangles. The gays got pink triangles. The gypsies, got a square in purple, another way of dehumanization, another way of, of turning you into, into something that you had no power over. You, you lost your identity. You lost your humanity. You, you lost all your belongings. You were standing there. They wanted you to be just a victim, not a person. <laughs> Next room, tattoo. Everybody was put on a hand, a tattoo. 61,569 was my number, is my number. I stayed, still have it on my forearm. I, of course, during my life, um, I, I did consider to take it out because I just wanted to be like everybody else. But something held me back not to do it. And I'm glad I didn't, because when I show it to the students, they look at it. They look at it. And it's amazing that in the world that people are tattooed from head to toe. (laughs) They are taken so deeply by a number. I, I remember one... A moment when I spoke in a school, one boy put his finger... He said, can I see your tattoo? And I my, pulled my shirt or whatever I was wearing up, and he put his hand, his finger on my tattoo and turned to his friend and said, I just touched his story. No. Um, that is beautiful. Then they then I put us to the, to the barracks again. If there could be less food, there was less food. If the blankets were thinner, they were thinner. If the bunk beds were tighter and lower, it was there. And we were we were with barb. There, there were barracks with barbed wire, and the barbed wire was of course uh, filled with high with high percent of uh, electricity, voltage, high voltage of electricity. So there was no escape on there. And every morning they took us at crack of dawn and we had to stand in line. And they counted and counted. I don't know what they were counting for. I was actually in Auschwitz 11 months. And all we saw this transport, the train pulled in and and half an hour later we saw that smoke. And we knew that another transport came. And they didn't even give them. Clothes and they didn't put numbers on them. They just took them to the gas chambers, burned their bodies, and what you saw were those gigantic mountains of, of black snow, of black smoke. And, and those months, days and months in, in Auschwitz, there is one thing that I still didn't resolve: mm-hmm. How can one person to another person? Be so entirely cruel. Where was humanity? I think in World War II, humanity was forgotten. Especially when it came to the people that were caught, caught in the, in the not to be the right people for the German, whether it was communists or gays or Jews, they were all treated the same as garbage. And then in the summer of 43, and there was a sign for men from 18 to, to 50 to line, to, to, uh, come, come up and, and they will be sent to Germany for slave labor. My father was at that time, what, 45? He was mm-hmm. in pretty good shape. He was a sportsman. He played tennis. He skied. He was always, uh, into sports. So he, was skinny, but he looked pretty good. He waved to us, and it was the last time I saw my dad. And the same thing happened um, a few days later for women. And my mother pushed me. I was at that point 14 years old. My mother pushed me. She said, go, tell them you are 18, you are strong, you are going to make it. And I turned to her, and I said, well, come with me. And she said, I can't, Anita. Your brother is only nine years old. If I believe him, he forget his name. He will forget his name, and we will never find him. And she turned away and she walked away, holding my little brother by his hand. I and I thought in my in my stupidity that Hello? my mother didn't love me. Didn't I? Didn't know, I didn't even my myself uh, my my. Pain over losing, my mother doesn't want to go with me. I, I thought she didn't love me. So from Birkenau, where we were locked, in, they called it Birkenau, but it was a part, of course, of Auschwitz. We walked, I walked from Birkenau to, to the main part of Auschwitz, it was about, what, maybe a mile, tears running down my face. My mother didn't love me. Now we come there, Dr. Mengele, always perfectly dressed, white shirt, black necktie, polished boots, and there he was standing in a nonchalant way, and these skeletons of women were marching in front of him, and he said left and right, that meant life and death, and I found myself um, in the group. There were older women, too young, too old, too skinny, and I knew if I don't get out of there, I'm gone. And then okay. I take a moment, I explain to, to the students that you don't grow up when you uh, finish middle school or when you are bar mitzvah that you are supposed to be a man. Or in high school or in college, you grow up the moment you take consequences for your deeds. And I must have been grown up because I certainly uh, took consequences for whatever I did, and and I suddenly, uh, of course, I didn't know it then. I, I just got totally crazy because I knew I am done, and there was something in me, a force that that. This was like inside me, I had this crazy feeling that all my intestines are going to fly, and I saw a latrine and I, and I, I went for the latrine you, something you never do stand out of step out of the line, but somehow nobody saw me and Then I was able to go again in front of Dr. Mengele. this time, I figured out to hold my arm up so he doesn 't see. That I am not developed and might have even thrown him a smile. Who knows? But I made it. Wow. Now, now I am in the women's lager in the women's part, where we are again washed and given actually, uh, well, civilian clothes, which we had to change the left sleeve from one mm-hmm. another. So let's say I had a black jacket; the other person had a beige jacket. I had a beige left sleeve, and she had a black left sleeve, so we could be identified. And a red stripe with uh, waterproof color. But they uh-huh. also did uh, medical examinations because they didn't. They didn't want to send sick people to Germany because the idea was really for us to uh, to work there. And okay. and I just lost it. I started to cry, and I. I, I wanted to go back to my mommy, and I'm only 14, and an SS woman comes next to me and pulls me by my arm, and she said, why are you crying? And I answered her in German. German was my second language, so I spoke German fluently, and she complimented me. She shoved me and put me in her room, mm-hmm. gave me some cocoa to drink, and said, Stop crying. You are indeed going to Germany, and you know anything is better than being in Auschwitz. I make a very strong point in all my presentation that okay. everybody has some humanity in them. Okay. This SS woman must have had a moment of humanity, and she saved me. And then we went to to, to, to Hamburg, slave labor. And let me tell you, they made us work hard they We had to 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 we were the first one to go to clean up after bombing, and the allies bombed that time uh Hamburg five times three times during the day and twice at night and we took our life into danger to crawl under under stice, under burning uh, walls and we found food. Uh, i find it very difficult to explain hunger to somebody who is just now having lunch or had lunch yeah. the hunger that we were in the, we woke up in the morning hungry we were hungry throughout the whole day and and then we were went to sleep hungry we woke up in the middle of the night hungry and it was a circle of 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 continuous fighting to to be able to stand up that took 4 years the, the the hunger was your second self, and and those who couldn't somehow lift themselves from that thing called hunger, they just didn't make it. And and some of us who 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 made it, we just held on to to ourselves, make it in the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next week, and and that that's how the handful uh, that to survived and now we are in Hamburg where we work hard as I said and and they make us also dig trenches and Mm -hmm. we had to shovel and they put lorries next to it and if you don't, if you don't fill up the lorry, the lorries were moving, you were punished. Uh, uh, they kicked you if they wanted or they shot you if you wanted. You had no way to really protect yourself. And, and I shuffled like a maniac. I somehow in my warped mind... I thought every shovel I put into that lorry will make me stronger. Then I looked at the woman in front of me. She's never going to fill up that lorry. She never probably had a shovel in her hand because what she put ground on it, half of it spilled the other way. So I helped her, and I helped the woman behind me. And I think those things kept me strong. And one day we were cleaning up uh, after, after a bombing of... Uh, of uh, oil oil tanks, and they mm-hmm. were all the, uh, the the oil tanks were all de- uh, situated next to a forest. So when it was time, we they took let us go to the forest. If not, we just stayed wherever we are. And the the oil tanks and all these were very important to the. To the ward effort, probably they were covered with nets, and on the nets were leaves, and it was like a camouflage. One day, we were in the forest, and the allies made a mistake. They 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 shot. They were bombing the forest instead of the refinery. Ah. And 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 to be in a after a, they tell you if the bomb fell. Mhm. That you cannot run away anymore, because you, when you hear it, it already happened. And everything is lifting up, the bodies, the trees, the boulders. Everything rises like to the sky, and then it stands there for a second, and then it falls down. I was covered with, uh, with earth, and I started to have difficulties to breathing. And next second, somebody uh, I feel a pain on my shin, and two, two seconds later, I'm out breathing. And, and a soldier, we, the, the, the whole uh, Hamburg group was run by eight women and about a dozen soldiers. And here I also explain something to the students. That there, every uniform they see in the movies, which mm-hmm. has the two SS, all the SS army was volunteers. But there was another army called Wehrmacht in a free translation yeah. would mean like watchmen. Uh, yeah. And those were uh, recruited, uh, recruited uh, soldiers. Uh, you know, Germany was at war, and, and uh, they had to answer a draft. Otherwise, they were deserters. I'm not saying that all were good, but certainly not all were bad. Some of, like the guy who, there were soldiers that pulled me out. He was a professor of French in, in, a, in, a, in a German university. And he of course asked my name and and age and, and I started to stutter that until I get got to myself I said I'm 80. He said he said okay okay and then he puts his arm in the back of his his back and I figured he's gonna shoot me now when a sandwich comes out and he breaks it into half and gives it to me and he said I don't want you to go back I want you to eat it all by yourself and wow. uh, I see he and then he said you look for me I will I will. I will give you part, part of my sandwich every day if you find me. And he probably was, instrumentally, in a way, my survivor. And here the kids are asking, what was his, his name? And I, of course, didn't know. Did you meet him after the war? And I, of course, didn't. <laughs> because here is another human being who in... It is very important because the kids ask me, do you hate the Germans? And I always say, no, I don't hate the Germans. I hate the Nazis. And I think this is very important, that we, we cannot choose where we are born, but we certainly can choose how we live. And I yes. think that, that it's important for people to know that, especially in a free country, that you can choose who you are and how you live. And I was, then I was there until end of February. And in February, mm-hmm. they, the end of the day, they packed us up and brought us to Bergen-Belsen. That was, that those were the living dead there. There was no more, many of the concentration camps were already liberated. So they were shoving in shoving in more people. There was no more food that you got. When they yelled, there is food, those who could run, ran and ate, those who couldn't, couldn't. I uh, wow.
1: was six weeks. Uh, Anita, I need to yes. interrupt you for just two seconds because we have four minutes left. Okay, and I'm sorry, it, it I'm goes, talking too it much. It goes really, really fast. And there are two questions, yes. one for you and one for Marion. My, my question for you is um, the impact that these students are left with. When you leave, what do you feel that you brought to these students
2: and how uh, they, will it impact their lives? Uh, they really, some of the teachers make them write letters to me. And the letter says, I cannot, I will never again stay silent. So, and and you know what? That's the only way I think their world might change. I At agree each, totally. Age, they, they have to a little active. boy or girl. When they see injustice done, they, they call now bullying they will not be able to stand because my voice is going to be in their ear, and that's what they say, um, to, to step in. They, they have to feel the responsibility that, yes, one person can make the difference. And they, it, it, can, it can. I agree,
1: absolutely. And, um, Marian, I know you're there. Hello. <laughs> I have been listening mesmerized to Anita. Yeah. I just um, you're there, right? Marion? You can hear me.: Yes, okay. Hi, Marion. I know that you probably sat just like me and most people and here and said, I have to write her story. Is that am I close to the truth?
2: Exactly, and I felt that it was important to also make it reachable to uh, the younger um, group so that they could be interested in learning about you know what happened to anita as an example yeah I, I, I you, think know, you know i, I think we sh- I, I think we should make a outreach and maybe get some to be able to send a couple of these books to every school they should have it in the library because uh, you know i was a kid but i will be in the summer 84 and I didn't make a long enough contract. I don't know what, you know, maybe I live under 104 and then what? So the, those yes. these books, kind of books, should be in the libraries of books. Actually, I actually one of,
1: agree well, totally. Marion, I'm going to try to help you make that happen. Okay, that sounds good. Um, school, which school districts, Anita. we have literally one minute, and the engineers, of course, of Voice America need to put on the next show. But I suggest the following, Anita. We are not going to wait till you're 104. <laughs> <laughs> I suggest, if that's okay with you, that we put you on, on another show with Voice America where you can really um, go back and forth between what the students are learning, and your story, because I would love to hear a little bit more about how your story can help them in the everyday bullying, because as you know, that's what I do. And I'm really interested, because it's this young generation that's going to be the backbone of the yes, world, yes. right? And They're, I
2: actually, at the end, I even ask them, could I have your, your word that you will... Do it because remembering is not enough. We need action here. And I want to recruit you to be the soldiers of be making a better world because only you can do it. This is usually how I finish it.
1: Absolutely. I always finish with the ball of kindness. So it's almost the same, Anita. It's It's really amazing to have you on. I'm going to talk with you afterwards, but... Right now, we have to close the show, everyone. And I promise for the listeners, I'll put both Marion and Anita back on because we have to be the difference. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And you can find her book on Amazon, Be a Hero. Thank you.
0: Thank you again for joining us this week. Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray can be heard every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week, and until our next show, think of a random act of kindness that you can perform. Save on your prescriptions with the Rx Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice Boy-